Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today we have another interesting guest, and this guest came way of uh, someone that, you know, I've had in my circle for a period of time, and he is a PR specialist, you know, Kamanzi, shout out to you. Um, so I'm going to deem her, because she's in that space of PR, but I wouldn't say she's the PR boss. I'm going to call her the publicity boss, and we're going to talk about more about why I'm going to call her that and, and what we're going to be talking about today. So Polly Ann, the floor is yours. Why don't you tell all this a little bit more about you and what we're talking about? Thank you so much for having me. So I am here and I'm so stoked to be here. And so I've been a journalist for the past 10 years and I got into it accidentally. (laughs) One of my professors, when I was doing my master's program, um, I was doing a master's of psychology and she goes, Polly, your papers are really good. You should publish them as articles. And I went, Okay. So I went to magazines literally the same night and I started getting published around the world within 90 days and getting paid for it too, which was really cool. And then I told my professor, I was like, look at this is so cool. And she goes, Holly, I'm in academic journals. I went, oh, okay. And my career in publicity was born and I had already had a huge entertainment background. I got into entertainment when I was an infant. And so it kind of coalesced in all of these different forms of storytelling and bringing value to audiences. And because I came to journalism in such a unique way, I started creating opportunities for business owners and getting publicity in unique ways because I was able to see their stories differently. And I was able to think differently than a traditional publicist would. And it's created such magnificent results for them. It's created an unbelievable career that's continuing to grow for me. And it's been really, really fun. So, I mean, I think it's definitely interesting kind of, you kind of said it just kind of fell into your lap and your professor made a mistake and wasn't overly descriptive as most professors should be, but obviously (laughs) that professor was not descriptive and you took it and you ran with it, right? So let's talk about you going back. I mean, you're saying that you were into entertainment as a kid. So, I mean, what kind of entertainment are we talking about? Absolutely. So I was a performer. I got into it from a beauty contest. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, my mom put me in a beauty contest when I was six months old. And when I won it, it came with a modeling contract. And so I started doing modeling and that quickly turned into acting and singing. And it was all kinds of stuff. I did predominantly stage. I was trained on film. And so it was this really long period of my life. The whole first 25 years was completely dedicated to performance. So, I mean, I think you had, you had a post on, I think it was Facebook or Twitter, one of your accounts, and you were saying something about um, understanding publicity as far as storytelling. So I want you to kind of talk about it. I mean, obviously you're formally trained in, 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 in entertainment. <laughs> so storytelling should come natural. So why is storytelling such an important thing for publicity? Absolutely. So storytelling is what we wrap value in, right? It's how we communicate first and foremost as humans. We don't typically uh, give lectures, 
And that's something that we've kind of learned to do from the educational system that's been built. But originally, even before we had written language, we were telling stories to each other on walls and we were communicating in that way. So storytelling is the most natural form of communication that we have. So with that, when we're getting publicity, we have to think in terms of story. What is going to be not just value-driven, but what is going to be digestible? What is going to be something that people are going to look at and go, oh my gosh, that's either really relatable or I need to hear that story, or it's something that makes you or whatever it is that you're communicating stand out. So that way the audience is willing to open their walls. They're willing to open the gates to their hearts and their minds and come into what you're sharing. And that makes all the difference. And so when you're pitching editors or you're pitching journalists, or you know when you're trying to get media for yourself, you really want to lead with that story aspect because a bunch of bullet point facts are cool and all, and those are good for substantiation for why it's valuable to prove your point. But the story is what gets everybody. So if you have a good story, you're good to go. So, I mean, obviously you're talking about story and, you know, obviously doing my due diligence and, and, and I came across one of your articles and it was, again, you're extremely transparent with your, your article style of writing and you kind of go into like details that, you know, most people are not really willing to disclose. And I think one of the articles was kind of like a backstory to where your ex-husband passed away. So like this talk about that, like, I mean, obviously, first of all, the fact that you, you wrote about it, it, that means obviously, hopefully you came to terms with it. But how did that how did that help you kind of move forward and help the people that you're working with? So I think for me, being a performer for most of my life, and then I became a writer. And for me, writing was something I always did behind the scenes that no one really knew. I just was kind of this geeky girl who was writing under her covers at night and creating all these stories and all these things. And so for me, writing was a huge way of processing. It was a huge cathartic process for me. And so when that happened and he passed away less than two months ago, it's like, it's really soon. And I remember I got the news and I was in shock for about, I think two days, I just kind of sat and couldn't really move and, and couldn't really think in between the, the battles of crying, um, because I was so shocked and not shocked all at the same time. And so it was a lot to process. And I went, huh, cause he's my ex-husband mm-hmm. and that was complicated. And so I'm like, am I even allowed to grieve? Am I allowed to be upset? Am I allowed to have these human feelings and emotions that come up? And so with that, I went, I can't be the only one who's gone through this. I can't be the only human on the planet who is sitting there going, my ex died and it feels like my husband died. And so I was like, what can they do? Because I couldn't go back for the funeral. I couldn't that I didn't have anyone that I was still connected to that I could process with. And I went, you know what? I feel like if I share this, it will speak to the people who are hurting in this way and have no one to talk to, especially because if you have a contentious ending to a relationship, people may not understand. A lot of times people are like, why aren't you dancing on his grave? And I'm like, no, you know, that's like, 
the furthest from my mind as possible. And so I hit up my editor at Insider and I said, hey, you know, I know we're working on something else right now, but this just happened. And I feel like it's really important to talk about because grief is so complicated. And my whole thought process was if my journey can help someone, then that's really important to me. And being the one who wrote it meant I was in control of what I shared and what I didn't. And so I made it more about my journey than his death. And I was able to craft it in a way that I felt was really respectful to him and really respectful to his family while also honoring my journey and what I needed to share and what I thought other people would really benefit from and help them in their cathartic process. I think it's definitely, like I said, like when I started off this podcast, I mean, about you being so transparent and like, obviously people, they write, but I mean, you write from another level to where like, you can kind of feel that passion. I mean, I, I didn't realize that you were um, an adolescence into the entertainment business as deep as you were. So that makes a lot of sense for some of the other articles that you've written. I mean, another article that you wrote that was an insider as well was an article about self-image, about um, weight loss and, and about, you know, possibly taking pills. So I want you to kind of like talk about you as a kid growing up in that environment. How does that fuel where you are today? Oh my gosh. If I wouldn't have grown up the way that I did, I definitely would not be in publicity. Um, I might write, but not at the level that I do. And so the, there is a lot of pressure that comes with being in entertainment, especially back then. It was very different than it is today. Today, we're more body positive. Today, we're more accepting of people looking all different kinds of ways and not putting them into boxes. Whereas when I grew up, it was very much so, you know, still the Cindy Crawford era. And, you know, it was, you were supposed to be real thin. You were supposed to look a certain way. And I never fit that mold. And so I, I remember I was in acting school and um, I was going uh, to this amazing acting academy in New York. And they looked at me one day and one of my professors said, Polly, you know, you're going to be the girl next door or the victim. And that was my typecast. And it was shortly after that, that I realized I couldn't keep going, but because I had such deep roles, because I was looking at all of these different stories and all of these different characters in such a deep way, it opened up my ability to tap into emotion and empathy in a way that without it, I, I don't think would be possible. And so I took that with me when I went uh, for my second master's degree, which was in screenwriting. Huh. And I was like, I already know how to write books. I, I feel solid with books, but I want to know how to write screenplays. I want to know how to capture that action and how to capture that attention and how to create all of those feelings with so many less words. And so in learning to write cinematically, I was able to bring all of that because <laughs> here's the funny thing that most people don't know. Um, when <laughs> in my first class in uh, screenwriting, I sat down and my professor took away like half of my words. Hmm. They were like, you're not allowed to use words that end in ing, no ed, and no ly. Wow. And I went, no ly? What do you mean? <laughs> 
right? Because I was used to books and poems and all of the LYs that you can think of. And so I'm like, okay, if I can't explain things and modify them in that way, like I can't say he ran quickly, Mm. right? So how do I say he ran quickly using one word? So instead of um, he ran quickly, it would be something like he sprinted or he sprints because I couldn't use ED. So he sprints, right? And it has a different feeling to it. And so you start to understand the energy around words and how they impact people and how there are different belief systems wrapped up in them. And it's just a very intimate experience. And so when I sit down to write now, I tap into all those feelings and I go, okay, what are the feelings that I really want to address? What are the ones that are maybe too intimate or too raw to touch? And it's really about respecting the reader in that process. So it's Yes, I have this element that writing helps me and supports me, but it's also, if I'm to be of service in this way, then how do I understand the intimacy around words and create a safe space for people to read and be without overwhelming them and without taking them to places that they don't want to go, but inviting them along the way and giving them those little micro agreements of intimacy throughout the entire piece and building that. And so all of those things came together for me from the performance and growing up the way that I did um, allowed me to understand language in that way. I think it's definitely fascinating because I mean, like on, on your TikTok channel, I could definitely, based upon what your answers and what you're, you're, you're defining it right now, I could see like that's like the platform to where you have fun, like you're acting yeah. in that platform. And I think one of the videos was, was hilarious and your choice of words was, I think it was snuggle and snack. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I like, so I, 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 now that I know the story behind the scenes, I can definitely see that connection. So since I brought it up, like, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, I mean, how yeah. did that TikTok thing work for you? And, and, and where does the snuggling and snacking come into play? <laughs> okay. So snuggle and snacking is one of my favorite things to do. And so I have not started dating again since my divorce. And so learning to be this independent person, because I went from my parents' house to my husband's house. Mm-hmm. So learning to be this single person who doesn't take care of other people, I started learning how to pour that into me. And so, you know, one of the things that my ex-husband did that I appreciated is every once in a while, he would make me breakfast in bed, which was really sweet. But like, you can't really do that for yourself. (laughs) You know, by the time you get up and you make everything, getting back in bed with like this tray doesn't seem like the best thing. So I like to give myself like these micro moments where I get to nurture myself. So I'll get Um, usually it's an apple and chocolate chips and I will go into bed and I'll take my computer and it's either I'm taking a really quick break and watching something that inspires me or makes me laugh or, you know, fills me up in some way, or I'm working. (laughs) That just became a hot mess that one time really quickly. Um, and yeah, that was fun. But on the platform with TikTok, um, the thing that I love is you get to show so many different facets of your personality. And so often, especially in this space as business owners, we're so focused on delivering value or we're so focused on being seen one way that our audience doesn't get to see all of the special 
you know, threads that make up our own tapestries. And so one thing about me is I'm a total fantasy nerd and I'm goofy and silly and I make the worst jokes known to man. And so on my TikTok, I get to show all of those sides of me while still being the expert, while still delivering high value and letting my audience know that you can be all of these things. You can do all of these things and all of it is okay. And it can be front facing. And that's, you know, how that kind of correlates with the publicity, which is really fun is I get publicity for my expertise, but I also get publicity for my human. Uh And it allows all of these different facets of who I am and all of these different interests that I have, especially, you know, shout out to my multi-passionate people. (laughs) It allows us to truly express in a full way. And that's like my favorite thing. So, I mean, obviously there's a yin and yang to everything, right? So, I mean, on your yeah. positive side, you're glowing, you're smiling, you're, you're, you're giving multiple sides of your personality, but you also have a dark side as well, too. And, and, <laughs> and I found this out as well. And I'm, I'm like doing my research and I was like, it was the weirdest. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it's the weirdest dark side ever, right? It's a pretzel <laughs> bag with less than seven pretzels in it and you don't want to finish it. Mm-hmm how the hell like i want you to kind of like talk and again i'm just painting the picture to kind of mm-hmm. for people to understand like you're so multifaceted and that's why you're so good at what you're doing because you could kind of turn off characters at will so you're smiling you're happy and then you see a bag with seven pretzels and then you don't want what, what is that about okay so the not finishing thing is i grew up with a big family mm-hmm. and i was definitely the softest of the bunch and so I never wanted to finish the last of anything because I I think it may have happened one time where I finished the last thing and that did not go over very well. And so I now have a complex, even living by myself, I now have a complex where I can't finish anything. And (laughs) good God that used to like rub my ex like crazy because I leave like a little bit in things so that I didn't finish the last of it but it really wasn't enough for anything. So there's like three fries left in the frozen French fry bag, or there's, you know, about a sip left of orange juice. It's it's annoying. And I know. So um, that was how that particular habit was, was developed. Um, But yeah, as far as like, you know, the darker side, I feel like there are extreme depths to being a human and just as light and fun as we can go is the same depth to which we can explore you know the sadness and the grief and the anger and all of those other things and um you said something really brilliant which is being able to kind of you know step in and out of these characters and for me the reason why i quit acting wasn't because it was hard i quit acting because there are two ways to act you can fake it or you can feel it. I wasn't a good faker. I I can't fake anything. I'm like the worst. So that meant being typecast as the girl next door and the victim. Mm. I was going to those depths all of the time. And I wasn't someone who could snap out of it very easily. And so I was spending my time in all of these deep emotions. You know, we're not just talking sad, we're talking morose. Mm -hmm. right? We're not talking upset. We're talking despondent. And that was required of me. And so it got to the point where I was like, I really need to understand who I am. Mm -hmm. 
as a human and constantly emotionally manipulating myself to do this job is not going to work for me. But what it has done is it's opened that emotional well that's super deep and I'm so grateful for. And now I can, like when I work with a client or when I'm working with my own stories, I can understand what's happening in a much more sophisticated way and be very gentle with the process for everyone involved so that it's handled delicately in the way that it's supposed to instead of, you know, kind of, and we see this often with, um, with different people where if you don't have that kind of control and understanding, uh, it can go off the rails very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was very lucky to have that immense training to learn how to navigate it. And then I've mastered it more over time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you definitely mastered it. And it's kind of like, you know, everyone, they have their groups, right? And you may have a TikTok group, you may have an Instagram group, you may have a YouTube group and so forth. And so like, when I'm like doing my due diligence, I'm jumping around, I'm, I'm just like, this is 20 people in one person, <laughs> like, like <laughs> your diversity of, of the way you kind of turn it on and off is, is definitely um, is phenomenal to, to say the least. So I want to kind of like with all those things. Okay. So we painted this, this smorgasbord of colors. It's like a Basquiat meets Van Gogh. And that's what you are. <laughs> But if you could define yourself in, in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Oh, my God. That's such a great question. I would say this. I'm going to count them out. <laughs> I'd say geeky, nerdy, writer to the core, like storyteller, writer to the core. And the other things I would say, which are more values aligned for me um are fair hmm. and gracious hmm. Hmm. those are the things that make up the core fabric of me and if i could add one i would say passionate definitely through and through right. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean with that i mean obviously like you know i brought up like the comparison of yin and yang before the light side and the dark side and you, you're, you're a ball of energy you're a ball of light so obviously i want to talk about like the worst case that you've dealt with you're being the ball of light, but then you have a client that's like a ball of darkness. And again, you don't have to name names, but everyone has had this experience before. So how did you deal with that and kind of bring them from out the shadows into the light? And that shadow could be their self-image. That shadow could be, oh, I'm not going to do good in front of a camera. Whatever that negative Nancy is, is in their mind and you bringing the light. How have you helped them move forward? There are a few ways. So I want to kind of separate this into two camps because there are the dark ones that are problematic and don't want help, right? They, they don't want to listen. They don't want the support. And I, over time have just said, I don't have time for that. That's cool, but I'm not available for that. Right. So we just don't mess with that over there. But over here are the people who they just don't know what to do. And they're willing to listen, they're willing to learn, they're willing to participate, but they really need that handholding because this is scary, right? Putting yourself out there is scary. Even on social media, it's scary. Then we're going to add a whole new element of publicity. It can be a little overwhelming for people. And so what I do is I really meet them where they are. And I look at what are all the elements? Why do they feel the way that they feel? And if I can understand why they feel the way that they feel, then I'm not fighting them and meeting them. 
And I think that's one of the, the biggest differentiators is sometimes we want to drag people and say, come on, it's better over here, right? But if we drag them, they're creating resistance and eventually that chain is going to break. And they're going to go even further in the dark because they're going to stumble back with the same momentum and velocity that we've been pulling them forward with. And now, then we have a bigger problem, right? It's very different. And you see this with kids, right? When a child is upset, if you sit there and tell them, oh my gosh, don't be upset or don't cry or don't do this or don't do that. It just makes them feel more alone, right? It makes them feel more isolated. But if you go and sit with that child and go, hmm, yeah, this thing sucks, huh? Yeah. Yeah. This thing sucks. Why does this suck? Tell me, tell me what you're feeling. And then they share with you bit by bit by bit. Same thing with clients and adults is they're so afraid to share and it's predominantly subconscious, but they're so afraid to share because there's this opportunity of rejection. If I let you see what's actually here and you tell me it's not good enough, then what do I do with that? So it's about creating that enoughness space from the beginning and sitting with them and saying, you know what? I can see why you are feeling that way. I can see why you'd be worried about that. Here's what we're going to do to mitigate that risk. Here's what we're going to do to work forward in this. And I think one of the things that's the most helpful is um, I can't speak for my clients, but I can write for my clients. And so for the vast majority of my clients, I go straight all of their stuff. And what that allows them to do is, especially when, when we're writing things that are personal, right? It can open a wound that maybe we're not ready to face. Like we can talk about it, but we don't want to write about it. It's different parts of our brains and bodies. Mm-hmm. And so I get to go in and do the hard part. I get to excavate they get to share and then they get to approve. Hmm. So that way it is their voice. It is their story. They're in control, but they don't have to go to the depths that are required of them if they were to do it on their own. Hmm. And so that saves a lot of pain and it saves a lot of time and all these other things that come up. So that's how I handle clients like that is, you know, if you're afraid to get on camera, cool. There are lots of ways we don't have to get on camera, but Let's work on that self-esteem. Let's work on that confidence a bit, especially because I come across fine on camera and totally confident and I hate it, but you'd never know. And so it's just this process of doing it in a way that you feel good about. And those are all the things that we explore. I think it's fascinating. I mean, one comment that you made was like, you can't speak for your clients, but you can write for them. So because you said that, then I'm going to read something that one of your clients wrote about you. Just the feeling okay. so, so it was funny because I was, you know, reading some of the reviews and, and, and she was saying that one, you're a joy to work with. Right. But based upon what you just said, and I think this is, this is a perfect fill in the blank. You are a joy to work with because you ask the pertinent questions and then you truly listen to the nuances of their response. So she pretty much summarized everything that you just said. Yeah. And that in that one statement. So, I mean, obviously you're living it and, and you're doing it and also your clients can, can feel that. So what I want to talk about next is, OK, this is where you are right now. You've gotten to the point to where you know yourself, you know your worth, you know your body, you know your image, you know everything that you have to deliver to a client. How long did it take you to become who you are? When did it start 
in how many years to get where you are right now? I would say it took 36 years and I'm 36 years old. Hmm. It took a very long time. Um, and, and I'll kind of walk you through what I mean by that. So growing up in entertainment the way that I did, um, also growing up Italian Catholic, which is strict, yeah. right? Um, I didn't have much of a voice. I was always listening to what other people wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And I had to be directed. I was acting. You know, I had to take on certain parts and certain roles. And even when I was singing, every song has a story to it. Every song has emotions and meanings to it. And you can't just get up and sing pretty notes and then it connect the way that it's supposed to. You have to dig Mm -hmm. and you have to experience, you have to feel. And so that was how I grew up. But that was what everyone else expected, what everyone else wanted. And so I had to divorce this idea of being whomever I needed to be to meet anyone else's needs or to meet anyone else's expectations and really find me. And that happened when I got divorced. Mm. And I have been, I left almost two years ago. It hasn't been quite two years yet. And in that two-year period, I went from starfishing on the floor, feeling like every bone in my body was broken and going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And funnily enough, ran the business the whole time. Mm -hmm. So didn't have this public facing, just was trying to figure it out. And I was like, okay, I'm living on my own for the first time. And I'm going through all of these things. What is that like? And I found this inner ferocity that I didn't know that I had. And for the first time in my life, I allowed myself to be angry. And I went, oh, what's this? This is interesting. And I started to realize that emotions aren't what defines us as humans, that we experience and we observe the emotions and they give us information. But I had been identifying with all the emotions that I had to express in different ways for all this time. And so I started going through all of the different identities that were expected of me, right? Actress, singer, characters, on characters, on characters. And I had to go, who am I? And it's funny that you say, you know, you can see all of these different facets to me and all of these different characters because I feel like I am totally the goofy, like best friend that you will just laugh for hours with that will make no sense and make all of the dad jokes. Like they're not even good, but they're, they're so bad. They're hilarious. That's me. (laughs) But at the same time, I can hold your hand and listen to your story and really see you. And I had to get to the point where I understood, okay, I'm not the person who is a servant. I'm not here to serve. And that that whole relationship with that word had to be reworked Mm -hmm. because in the way that I grew up and in my relationships and all of those things, and especially when, you know, we hear a lot, you have to serve your people. You have to serve your people. I worked myself into the role of assistant Mm -hmm. and I went, huh, I don't like it here. I don't like it here. It doesn't honor me. It doesn't honor my my knowledge and my expertise. And it definitely doesn't honor who I am. 
So how do I divorce that and move forward with who I am? And so these past two years have really been about digging deep and going, you know what? I don't accept that mm-hmm. or I'm not available for that. And I am going to treat myself the way that I have treated other people in my life. I'm going to take care of me the way that I've taken care of other people and given myself the permission to really dive deep and go, who is Polly? Mm-hmm. And It was funny because I used to think there are too many different types of personalities. And now I'm like, I just have a really wide range of expression Mm. and people aren't used to seeing it and that's okay. But it's absolutely what makes me genius Mm. at what I do. And I'm not willing to dim that light and dim that self-expression to make other people comfortable. And I think that in owning that, it's created that confidence. So, I mean, with with that level of confidence, I mean, it sounds like part of that is something that you grew into, but I want to kind of talk about like your upbringing. I mean, you talked about you being an entertainer. So let's talk about your parents for a minute. Were Mm -hmm. they entrepreneurs or were they entertainers to kind of like, where are you getting this insight to be an entertainer or where are you getting insight to be an entrepreneur? That was an aunt, an uncle, somebody from your history. Like, where is it coming from? No, I was the first one. So that's kind of the funny part. No one was in in entertainment. Um, My grandfather was an entrepreneur and my uncles were entrepreneurs and my biological father became an entrepreneur eventually. Um, And almost all of them started as salesmen, which I think was kind of like back then, you know, in the eighties, that was how you got into it is you started in sales and you learned all these different things about your industry. And then when you felt comfortable, you would go out on your own and open a store. And so that was my understanding of entrepreneurship. My understanding of entrepreneurship was you have to have a store and you have to run the cash register and you have catalogs to order out of. And funnily enough, everyone was in the furniture store business. So my idea was, okay, we're going to sell mattresses and tables and like all these different things. And I would go into the store and dust for hours (laughs) and just take care of everything. And, And so I got to see people interacting and like the different questions that they'd ask. And I have always been really shy. I'm super introverted. I'm really shy. And so I was like, this is different. And I think that I kind of gave my family the hope that not everyone had to be in the furniture business (laughs) because we had designers, we had furniture salesmen, we had furniture store owners, like the whole nine yards. And then there's me, this little thing that is constantly performing and constantly coming up with creative ideas and creative stories. And it's like, where, where, how? (laughs) And so I think that for me, I gave everyone else kind of that, that bit of light and that bit of hope that we didn't all have to do the same thing. So that was how I grew up. I think, I think it's definitely interesting, right? I mean, because obviously on one end, you're talking about being an entertainer that grew into using that persona to become a great writer to then help other people find their niches online and get them published or get them to get publicity, right? But in that, 
you you didn't really have any entertainers in your family. You had a, a bunch of entrepreneurs that were essentially more so in furniture. And then now you're older, you're an adult. You kind of have your moments when you're doing your, um, what did you say? It, it, snack and... <laughs> Snuggle and snacking. Snuggle and snacking. <laughs> So how do you currently juggle and manage like these different personalities, your snuggling, snacking and your business with your current family life? I would say I'm in the unique position where I'm I don't have much of a family life. Right. So my ex and I didn't have kids together. So when we separated, it was a really clean break. Um and I have taken these past two years to just be really introspective and really hermity. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a ton of family life that, that goes on for me. So I really have devoted myself to the business and healing and becoming the strongest possible version of me and trying to condense <laughs> what a lot of people got in like their early twenties in my mid thirties. Mm -hmm. And coming at it from that standpoint, because for me, it was very much so the most important thing was for my level of confidence and sense of self to match my expertise mm -hmm. because they weren't on the same level at all. And so now the confidence is coming up and meeting my level of expertise, which is a completely different world, which I think will 100% revolutionize how I approach family life in the future. Hmm. I think it's definitely interesting because I mean, I mean, I'm hearing you speaking and obviously in doing the research that I've done, it's kind of like you literally have these two different sides or these two different visions of yourself internally and what you project to the outside world. So this next question, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Usually nine out of 10 times I can nail it down. I could either say someone is very structured or someone yeah. is completely out the box and structure is kind of like sometimes if you want it and then sometimes you just do whatever you want. I have no clue with you. I have no. So my <laughs> next question is, is like, like what, what is your morning routines, your morning habits? Do you have a particular routine or structure that you do day to day? I will say that when I'm on point, I have it. And so when I'm on point, I'm waking up, I'm lifting in the morning. Um, and usually it's like a mix of hit and lifting. And while I do that, I'm going through a mindset routine. So I'm listening to audios that really rework my mind, or I'm going through my own internal system of rewriting belief systems and, you know, kind of digging that up, um, just depending on what I need for that day. And from there, it's like shower, take care of myself. Uh, eventually I'll eat at some point when I'm actually hungry. And from then I, I work, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the person to be like, Oh yeah, I, I work, you know, four hours a day. No, I, I bust ass and I work and it's because I love it. Yeah. And so I envelop myself in that, but that's how my, my morning routine goes when it's on point. Hmm. So I guess I was kind of right. It's kind of, it's both. It's both. It is, it's both. <laughs> Crazy. So, I mean, with that, I mean, obviously you're pretty astute in, in what you do and uh, being a, a writer and anybody that's a writer, usually there's a lot of research that goes into writing or a lot of Google searches or book reading. So my next question is, is like, if you can kind of like want to refer a book that kind of helped you to get to where you are, what would be the title of that book and what would someone get from reading it? There's two. The first one is The Writer's Journey. And um, I'm trying to remember who it's by. It's by Christopher Vogel, I think. Um, it is the most 
powerful book that I've ever read, both about writing mm. and about being a human. It deconstructs the entire journey as a human. And for me, it was revolutionary because that's when I realized, um, and this was goodness over 10 years ago when I read it. Um, I understood stories in a different way once I wrote it or read it because what happened was before stories were entertaining and you had to kind of think of plot points and there were all these different things to it. But when I read that book, I went, this is a mirror of the human experience. And if I approach stories as a mirror of the human experience and allow myself to go into the depth of that and understand how to excavate that and bring that to people, it's never going to go wrong. And so instead of sensationalizing storylines, it helps me deepen into the human experience. So that's the first one. The second one is the Chronicles of Narnia. All seven books, you can get them in one compilation. It's my absolute freaking favorite. <laughs> it changed my whole life. That was the book that made me realize that not only can fiction transform your mind and your heart, mm. but fiction was something that I have been so passionate about. And so I still write fiction on the side and not just, you know, the other stuff. And it's such a massive form of creation and self-expression and connecting with other humans. And, you know, it's a different way of exploring. And so the book, what it did is it allowed me to see life in a completely different way. And um, especially because I come from more of a spiritual and non-denominational background, um, I was able to see a lot of really cool, um, like spiritual elements in the book without ascribing it to any particular thing. And that felt very nourishing for me personally. So those are the two I'd recommend. I mean, I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, it kind of leads me back to you also being a ghostwriter, right? And to define a ghostwriter, there's different types of ghostwriters in the world, right? So I think like you're sharing two separate worlds. You're 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 a dual ghostwriter. Like ghostwriter for articles, ghostwriter for magazine is completely different than yeah. ghostwriter for fiction novels. One hundred percent. And um, I even ghostwrite nonfiction, um, which is actually very similar to fiction. Um, it's just you're not world building in the same way. Um, but because I come from such a character driven background and such a cinematic background, it makes everything else that I write elevated because now we've got all of the elements of fiction involved that draw the audience in instead of just here's my expertise, <laughs> right? Which is what a lot of people are are kind of stuck with doing because they don't have that other experience to, to build up their writing from. Um, some people do it very naturally, but not always. And so I get to help in that way, which is very cool. And having these different elements is so nurturing to me because I... I definitely don't like being put into one particular box. If I'm in a particular box for too long, I'm not going to be very happy. <laughs> so it gives me a really good variety to express and explore and expand, which is amazing. So I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, you're saying that you go right for, for three different genres, right? 
And yeah. so, like, my next question is, is, like, outside of, like, the co-written books that you've written with, like, um, Susan, your partner, that's more so on your business, have you had an opportunity to write your own book and get it published? Not yet. That is on my list, though. I am working on a fiction book, and I'm mapping out a nonfiction book um, that are both by me, by me alone, <laughs> and and getting those out there. So those are in the works. So with the, with the nonfiction book, I mean, obviously, are you going to be talking about the topic of hand? Are you going to be talking about publicity or, or are you going to be doing more of like a, a memoir? I think I'm going to do more of a um, more of a language and communication book. Mm-hmm. And when when we look at all the different pieces of what I do, essentially, I'm a communication expert. And that's really what everything kind of boils down to in the same pot. And there's such nuanced differences in the way that we communicate that I feel like I see communication differently than most people. And I would love to give people a book that allows them to communicate effectively, whether that's in business or in their interpersonal life or how they even speak to themselves and how they use language and really bringing to the forefront the power of language and how it can transform things and how it especially allows us to connect. And I feel like in a world that's, you know, can be overwhelming and a little crazy at times, the thing that we crave most is being understood and being seen, even if it's in all of our imperfections and not even for, you know, what we're most great at. And so that book feels the most aligned nonfiction wise for me. So let's just run off of that, right? So this this book is yeah. in the works. This is let's say right now we're going into like the sci-fi, right? This this book is hovering in front of us as a hologram. <laughs> listening, close your eyes and imagine this hologram. Who is reaching out for this book? Who is the average consumer that you want to have this book in their hands right now and make that book become a reality and get something from it? Absolutely. So for the nonfiction book, it is definitely um, business owners and people into personal development. Those are the two um, target markets that are really going to get the most out of it because they're going to have the basis of knowledge and the basis of practice to be able to really absorb and digest it. It's really not for beginners. It's really for the people who have been on the path for a while. And that doesn't always mean a spiritual path or a personal development path, but they've been doing the work. And I, one thing I've learned about business is you can't be in business and not do the work. And so, right, it has been the most expansive experience of my life. And Sometimes it feels a little bit like being flayed and that's okay, but it forces you to do the work. And so those are the audiences that are ready to look at this in this particular way, who can also implement it and allow it to spread by example. So those are the people. All right. So let's just, let's just keep on. Right. So they're yeah. going through the wardrobe. They're, they're popping into to Narnia and they're, <laughs> they're presented with you. You're the first thing that they see. And they're like, oh, my God, things are rough. I'm trying to figure things out. I need your help. What words of wisdom would you give to them to help them continue on their journey? Oh, my goodness. So it depends on what their particular problem is. Um, so I'll give it that caveat. (laughs) I am the queen of disclaimers. And so it definitely depends, but I would say if someone came to me and they were saying, I'm having a hard time, this is what I'm going through. 
my first question would be, are you acting for yourself or against yourself? Which of those is happening? Because if someone is having a hard time and they're still acting in their best interest and they're acting in alignment with their values, then we know there are external things happening that are poisoning their experience, right? And that's a different approach. If they're not, then we know it's an internal battle for unraveling whatever's going on because that poison is a program coming from within. And if we can heal that, then everything else starts to shift and change. So that would be the first question that I would ask to set them on the right path. So with you helping them on the right path, how could they find you on the internet? What's your, your, your Instagram or your TikTok handle? How can they communicate with you? Absolutely. Almost everything is at Pollyanna Writes, which is W-R-I-T-E-S, as in physically writes. Um, and my milkshake uh, link, which is the best link to get me on, is on all of those profiles. Um, and that's got all of my information, all of my clickables, everything there. So, I mean, since you're, you're talking about milkshake, you're talking about clickables, my, my next question, kind of like a random bonus question is like, what tools do you use on a day-to-day -day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing for your clients without having access to that platform? Oh my gosh, that is a brilliant question that I've never been asked before. So I would say tools wise, um, one of my favorites is I use Living Writer and that's where we put all of the book stuff. Um, and it organizes it in a really beautiful way that makes sense, especially as a creative systems are not my first language. Um, I've had to learn them in order to organize and process properly. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but outside of that, I would say social media as a whole is what I really focus on. And so those platforms are really precious to me. It's how we engage, it's how we connect and all of that. But outside of that, it's not really tools as much as it is a decision to listen deeply and to genuinely care more than what's in my comfort zone or my preconceived notions. And I'm willing to be wrong in order to get to the right solution. Hmm. I mean, if you don't mind, repeat that one more time. You're willing to be wrong to find the right solution. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be wrong to find the right solution. That's a hell of a statement. I mean, it's a hell of a statement to live by as well, too, because, you know, most people generally don't like to be wrong at all. Oh, it's not fun being wrong. <laughs> it is not fun. But one of the things I've learned is that if you fight to be right, you're creating resistance against the solution. If you can sit there and go, being wrong has nothing to do with who I am. And it only has to do with my past perception that was incorrect with all the variables I had to work with at the time, then you can separate yourself as the core being from this idea of I am wrong. And you can say, my perception was wrong, which means I can be closer to being right huh. if we don't hold on to this. And so often we're just holding on to our identity in any way we can understand and not realizing we're creating more problems because of it. So when you can get to that resonance and that, that feeling and that idea of, you know what? 
being wrong has nothing to do with me as a human. And it has everything to do with the variables that I've been working with. Then I am that much closer to the right solution, which is still going to be something that I come up with or that I'm going to collaborate on or be a part of in some way, which means eventually you will get to the right thing. But separating I am right or I am wrong from I am human changes everything. I think it's a, it's a phenomenal statement. And, and this one goes out to all the parents out there. And then you made the comment earlier about, you know, talking to the kids and, and that definitely does work. But as being a parent of two teenagers, that is not always the case. So I'm oh. hoping, I am hoping that when you decide to have kids, that you can still use that method because for us, it, it, it's so difficult to kind of step into that space. And for you, it's like you're saying that essentially your client, you, you're looking at, you know I'm not saying you look at them like that, but you're treating them kind of like they're adolescents and they're going to grow up into becoming adults. So you're kind of helping them move forward, not about being right because you know everything. It's about getting them to understand the right path to get to where they want to go. Is that a when, right assumption? 100%. And I will add this caveat, which is really fun. So I am not a mom, but I am an aunt and a godmother. And so I am the person that people will call in where they're like, they're not listening. They're going crazy. They're doing this or doing that. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Sometimes it's not the parent that steps in Mm. to create that space because especially if there's tension there, right? The the child, the adolescent, you know, it doesn't matter. They feel that tension and they don't understand it yet. So because they're still developing and they're still going through their own things, they don't understand. They just know that they don't like it. And so they shut down. Uh But if you can get a more neutral person in there Uh that they believe wants to hear them. Uh Psych one-on-one. If nothing else, I mean, you, you're giving us a tons of jewels and information, but I mean, that, that last bit of nugget, I think that works for clients as much as it works for kids. 100%. It's one, it's one in the same. So I got a, a question for you. This is the bonus question, right? So obviously, and I, I think I'm, I'm being facetious and I'm being a smart ass, but I know you can handle it. I was like, I was like okay, your favorite, your favorite movie has to do with a, with, a, with, a, with a cabinet that opens up and goes into a magic land. And then you're, you're coming from a family of people that sold furniture. Do you think there's a general <laughs> correlation between these two things? Like, you know, hearing about the furniture, going to sleep and then reading a book about it. I mean, this, this. Well, here's the funny part, because I definitely saw the movie when I was little, right? And believe me, I went into so many wardrobes going, come on, let's go. But it didn't work. So um, it was when I read it when I was older, I was already graduated from college. I was, I think, 25 when I read the whole series. And I read it over seven days. Seven books in seven days. I, I... I had to read them. Like I could not stop. And it was that, that made the connection for me, but that's a really funny parallel. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. So yeah, but there, I will say, I will say because cabinets are made from wood Mm. and trees are pretty magical. It's not that far fetched. It's not. That's that's why I put it up. I was just kind of like, I don't know. I'm not a psychology major, but I just see this, this, this common denominator right here. So uh, definitely. Funny. 
So uh, this is like my, my signature question. And I think for you, it's, it's kind of like listening to you again. I don't know who you're going to say, but I'm going to ask it, right? If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, this person could be dead or alive. You could spend 24 hours with them uninterrupted. Who would you pick and why? I am going to pick Veronica, Veronica Franco. Veronica Franco, um, if you've ever seen the movie Dangerous Beauty, it's my, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. Highly recommend. Um, Veronica Franco was a courtesan um, back in, uh, I forget when it was. I think it was, like, around the Renaissance time, right during, like, the Inquisition. And back then, women were not allowed to read. They were not allowed to write. They were not allowed in the libraries. And this woman fell in love with a man who outranked her and he wouldn't marry her because his family said no, even though they loved each other. And so her mother said, well, you've got two options. You can marry someone else or you can find a way to be with him, which is being a courtesan because that was okay. And so she became one of the most prolific courtesans of all time. And it wasn't because she was the most beautiful. It was because she was the most intelligent and the deepest. And she ended up becoming a published poet that was renowned. And to fight against all of those things, to have a broken heart and try to figure out how to be with someone that you love and to try and navigate this extremely dangerous um, environment for women and to publish work that you love that comes from your soul when everything in the world says no and it's not okay and you're not allowed to do it. I want to know about that superpower. It's ironic because I mean, when I did the search right now, when you were talking about it, and the first tagline that I see that popped up is, is, is the honest courtesan. It kind of just kind of goes to, I think that kind of represents you as well, too. I mean, like you're, you are so transparent. And again, with your personalities, right? I mean, most people, they would probably try to put some of them in a wardrobe and try to hide them away. <laughs> you're, you're completely transparent. I mean, it just, it just comes down to what platform someone finds you or catches you on, and they're going to get a piece of those puzzles. So putting all those puzzle pieces together completely allows someone to come into your Narnia, I would say. Absolutely. It is a whole world over here and y'all are welcome. (laughs) We're friendly. It's a good place. Very cool. So in closing, what I like to do is like, you know, um, I like to give the, the, the boss and cage podcast to the person I'm interviewing. So now it's your show. You're the host. I'm your guest. Do you have any questions that you'll like to ask me? Oh my goodness. I love that. I would say, Out of everything that you've learned on your podcast, what are the two to three things that you think are the most vital for people to know that they can implement and carry with them? Wow. Because, man, I've interviewed so many people and they've given me so many different tips, even including this episode. But I think collectively, the one thing that no matter race, creed, sex, anything else, it's being able to communicate and connect somehow, some way. 
and and like to your point, I was more so kind of a, a turtle in a shell for the longest, and I had my random personality outbursts throughout my adolescence. But now I have an opportunity to kind of use all these different personas. And, I, and what I realized is that those personas can match to that person. And that's the connection. I can meet someone today in five minutes, find the common denominator and let that inner person who is similar to that person come out and shine. And then somebody else could be completely different, completely opposite. And then my other personality will come out and shine. So it's essentially the message that I'm trying to say is be yourself. First of all, be adaptive to being you and make those internal connections, not superficial connections. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. Do you have any other questions? Mm. What is the most connected that you've ever felt to yourself? Most connected? Huh. I think it's a, it's a, it's a toss-up. I think when I was 100% carefree in high school with a marker in my hand just doing graffiti just not giving two shits about anything and yeah. now as a podcaster and finding the, the funny thing is is like as a podcaster and i talk so much about business a lot of times i'm kind of in this space and you know you kind of have fun and kind of have humor but i, I kind of see myself pulling back to that younger version in, in high school kind of just carefree say whatever comes out have fun enjoy the moment which for 15 years or so like before i had my stroke that person wasn't in existence. That person was just kind of bottled up inside of a uh, a cage. Hence why I call my podcast Boss Uncaged because I'm coming out the cage just like anyone else I'm helping to evolve and come out their cages. I think that's so powerful. And, you know, you mentioned having a stroke and that changing things for you. And yeah, huge life moment. Yeah. It definitely changed things. That's when I kind of unlock unlocked the cage and I was like, why the hell am I having this lion caged up? And the reality is, is that lions are designed to be free and be wild. So just be you. And once I started doing that, that's when, to the point, I'm finding more of my happiness going back to when I was a teenager. That's amazing. And I agree with you. Like life is this wild thing. It's a fierce thing and it's not meant to be quiet and perfect and tidy. It is meant to be loud and bold and I don't want to say messy, but I would say very much so like a toddler who is finger painting and finding the joy. Yes. It's not all on one canvas. <laughs> it's not about staying in between the lines. I mean, it, it's, it's oh. some of the best pieces of art are there are no lines. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yep. well, I definitely appreciate you coming on on the show today, and, and I think like we definitely have a bond and connection. And it's weird because we've only known each other for like maybe a week or two or something along those lines. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the beauty of podcasting. That's the beauty of you being an entertainer and being a writer is that we expose who we are, you find the commonalities, and then you grow from it. And you make these new connections that become lifelong connections. And I definitely appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. And I feel the exact same way. S.A. Grant, over and out. 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.